Jeremiah chapter 10 today. And I actually want to start today by doing something different. Is that okay? You're like, you already did, man. I want to read something to you. Normally I don't, but I came across this article today and I was going to try to highlight it. I was going to try to just maybe, you know, pull some bullet points here and there. But then I just felt like, man, it was it was so well written. And, I, and to me, you know, you can read the chapter today and we're going to see it's all about basically Jeremiah just saying, hey, don't be guilty of idolatry. Get rid of the idols. Um, God is the only God. And, uh, you know, it's it's pretty simple message. But but then as I was reading it, I was thinking, but Lord, how does it work in our life, you know, as individuals? And this is kind of what the way it worked for me anyways. And so I'm going to share this with you. It's actually a, a lesson uh, from the life of Hudson Taylor. Any of you guys ever heard of Hudson Taylor? He was a missionary to China. He was an amazing man. And uh, l- let me read it to you. It says, uh, go to China. Go to China. Hudson Taylor heard the words as clearly as if someone beside him had spoken to them. Thousands of men and women would die having never heard of the gift of God unless someone would go to China to tell them. Hudson Taylor knew no one in China, and if he obeyed the call, he could expect help only from God himself. If he ran out of money, there would be no one to borrow it from. If he lost his way, he wouldn't know how to ask for directions. He could think of all sorts of needs and problems, and the solution to them all would have to be the same. Go to God. If this was how he was going to live, he figured he'd better start practicing right away. And so he started with an experiment. He went to work for a man named Dr. Hardy. He felt it would be the perfect opportunity to begin. The doctor was a busy and rather forgetful man. And so the doctor said to him, be sure to remind me when your salary comes due, Taylor, he said. His young assistant smiled but said nothing. I will do nothing except pray, Hudson thought. God will have to remind the doctor. It was just a lesson Hudson had been hoping for. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Okay, you got a boss, and imagine your boss says to you, okay, remind me when you're supposed to get paid. Now, how many of you here would say, yes, I will remind him, homeboy, man. I'll I'll tell him a couple of days in advance. Don't forget, it's my payday. But Hudson Taylor said, I'm not going to remind him. When my payday comes... I'm just going to pray because he wanted to cultivate this relationship with God because he knew he was going to China. And when he goes to China, he doesn't know anybody and he's going to really have to have this relationship with God tight. And so um, here we are. He tells him to remind him and he says, uh, no, I'm just going to pray. And, and so the day he was to be paid came and went. A week passed without the doctor having remembered to pay him. Though he only had a single half crown left, Hudson refused to waver. He said nothing except to God. Often on Sunday evenings, Hudson preached to the poor. This week, as soon as he finished his message, a man came up to him and asked if he would come to his house and pray for his wife who was dying. Hudson agreed, and the two set out together. The man looked tired and anxious, and he said the priest wanted to charge me 18 pence to come, and I haven't had enough to feed my children. Well, Hudson did not doubt the truth of the words because the man's thin face and threadbare clothes confirmed his story. 
When he entered the single room, that was the family's home. Hudson saw that their situation was even worse than he had expected. The man's wife lay in bed. The three-day-old baby lay beside her crying. Five other children stared at Hudson. Every single face was thin and pale. Suddenly, the half-crown in his pocket did not seem so small. If it were only two shillings and sixpence instead of this half-crown, he thought, how gladly he would have given them part of it. But in his quiet and persistent way, the Lord urged Hudson to give them the coin. He said, Lord, I have but two meals left. His excuses were of little help. He tried to put the thought out of his mind. Taking the lady's hand, he began to tell the family of a loving Heavenly Father who would care for them, but he could not say very much. The words seemed empty, and he felt as if he could choke on them. He knelt to pray, but how could he pray when he was not willing to obey God and help these people who so desperately needed it? The father put his hand on Hudson's shoulder, and he asked, If you can help us, for God's sake, help us. In Hudson's thoughts, a verse followed the father's plea. The Bible says, give to him who asketh thee. And without further argument, he took the single coin from his pocket and pressed it into the man's hands. Once it had been done, the sacrifice no longer seemed so hard to make. A second verse then came to his mind. Give and it shall be given unto thee, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Hudson could not contain a smile as he left the house. The money had been lent to God, and he was quite sure it would have a good return. The next morning, there was a letter in the mail. The envelope had not been marked with any return address. Hudson opened it and dumped the contents onto his table, a pair of leather gloves and a half sovereign, and there was no note of explanation. Hudson didn't need one. God had paid him back with good interest. The coin was worth five times that which we had given away the night before. That money carried Hudson Taylor through the next two weeks. And then Saturday came around and he recalled that his room rent would be due that night. He knew how dearly his landlady needed the money, but his mind was made up. I will not say anything about it to the doctor. I can't. And he knelt down and he prayed again. Surely God would answer the need. Hudson waited with expectation all that morning. The doctor must say something about it today. His faith was tested with each passing minute of the afternoon, but he did not turn from his purpose. Late in the day, the doctor said, Finally, is your salary not yet due today? Hudson tried to repress a triumphant smile. It is overdue some little time, sir. (laughs) Well, you should have reminded me, the doctor said. You know how busy I am. If I had thought of it a little sooner, I would not have sent all the money to the bank this afternoon. I would pay you now if I had the cash. Hudson Kaler gave no, no reply. He had so hoped that he would have the money by tonight. This surely is the hardest test of all. Hudson continued his work on silence until finally he found a moment to spare and slipping away to a quiet place, he fell on his knees and cried out to God. He rose with an assurance that the Lord would work it out. Hudson was just closing the books for the day. The sun was setting, and his coat lay over the back of the chair, ready to be put on. When the doctor hurried into the room, he was laughing. Can you believe that one of my wealthiest patients has just come at this late hour to pay his doctor's bill? Look up the account, Taylor, and see what he owes. Do you not find it funny that he should come at this hour 
when he could write me a check any other day, and now I can pay you your due. And then you go on, I, I can't read the whole thing, although I, I would like to because it's really good, but you guys, I, I don't know if you know the life of Hudson Taylor, but he went on to become this amazing missionary. Uh, he, he started this organization, China Inland Missionary, and, and what God did through him because of the fact that he realized he came to this, uh, not, not just doubting, wondering, I hope so. No, uh, God is alive. God is alive. God hears my prayers. God knows my needs. God will deliver me. God will provide for me. He never asked for money the whole time he was there. And I, I, can, I was reading story after story after story. He never begged. He never you know, did the manipulating thing. And God would provide men, women, missionaries. It's an amazing thing what God did through his life. And all I'm trying to tell you guys is that we have to come to that place in our life where God's not dead. God's alive. Because I think a lot of times, even Christians, they don't have this in their heart. And they're just kind of cruising uh, in one sense, I mean, you know, halfway in because of the fact that they don't realize that God is, is alive. And so in our, in our study today, we're going to see that there's these Jews, they have these idols. And why would you trust idols? Because they're dead. They can't speak. They can't hear. They can't help. They can't carry you. You've got to carry them. But a lot of times that's what happens. And maybe you don't have a little idol, but you're, you, if you really just, you know, you just break it all down, you're not trusting in God. You're trusting in all the other things that this world has to offer, sometimes even ourselves. And so with that as an introduction, okay, that was different. Let's look at verse 1. I'm Jeremiah chapter 10. I want to teach from the New Living Translation tonight where it says in verse 1, Jeremiah 10, Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like the other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Now, hear the word of the Lord, he says there in verse 1, Israel this is what God says, don't be like the other nations. You know, I'm sure most of you know that we as God's people are called to be holy. And that means to be set apart for God. We are in the world, but we should not be of the world. One of the sins of today's church is worldliness. We're to be different as God's disciples. And so here Jeremiah points out the way the other nations they feared the signs in the skies, which is interesting. So some say this is in reference to the unusual astronomical phenomena, such as the eclipse or comets or meteor showers, things like that. And when they saw stuff like that, it struck terror into their hearts. And say Some say, well, that's what it is. But most others apply this to what we would call today astrology. Now, we know that the Egyptians and the Babylonians were deeply embedded in this, just as many Americans are today. Uh, the polls say that about 25 to 30% of Americans believe in and practice astrology. Any of you guys, you did astro astrology before you were saved? I'm just curious. Any of you guys still doing astrology? I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, these people, it's a trip, man. They're convinced that the stars and the planets and the way they're lined up and when you were born and all that kind of stuff it influences your destiny each and every day. 
all depending on the sign that you were born under. Now, of course, we know this is heresy, and God in Isaiah 47, 13 through 14 actually pronounces judgment on those who practice astrology, saying, you know, looking to the stars and saying, this is how I'm going to, you know, see my future prognosis. I was reading, and, and forgive me, hopefully this is not a sin, because I haven't done this in, since I've been a Christian, I don't think, but I was just curious. I'm like, what is my horoscope for today, you know? And you guys are like, ooh, Manny, I can't believe you did that. But I was just like, what, what are they saying, you know? And today, I was reading my horoscope, and it said, all aspects of love and romance will go especially well today, Sagittarius. And so take this opportunity to make a bold move toward the object of your affection. So I said, okay, babe, here we go, because my, my heart, you know, it says to do that. Isn't that crazy, though? I mean, people actually, you know, will look into stuff like that. They buy this. I mean, really, when it comes to astrology, best case scenario is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Worst case scenario is you're dabbling with demons. That's what they're doing, you guys. And the Lord says to the church, because sometimes it's in the church. I got to tell you, I've heard Christians, they talk about this stuff. Listen, God says, don't go there. You're not a Sagittarius. You're not a Gemini. You're not a Leo. You're a Christian. And so be really careful with that. But that, that's, that's what these people, unfortunately, Jews were guilty of. They're guilty of you know, being you know, worldly. And so Jeremiah says, believers in the, in the one true God don't be like the world who doesn't know any better. Don't fear the fate of some astrological prognosis or be led or fed by a fortune cookie. You guys are going to get the fortune cookies? You're like, okay, let's do this. No. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 3. He says, their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver and then fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. He says, do not be afraid of such gods for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. And so they cut down trees and they decorate it with gold and silver. Have you guys ever heard, sometimes people will say, well, this is in reference to Christmas trees. You know, you can't, you know, decorate Christmas trees. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about making an idol. You go and you cut down the tree, and then, you know, you cut the wood, you carve the wood, you cover it with gold and silver, it's making this idol, and then you fasten it to the ground, you stabilize it so it doesn't fall and Jeremiah just, you know, he, he just, how futile, how foolish it is to think that these gods can actually help you and you pray to them and you worship them. They can't speak, they can't hear, they can't see, they can't know, they can't walk, they can't help, they can't do anything good, they can't do anything bad. And, and the contrast is, like, like I was sharing with you with Hudson Taylor, our God can our God, our God can, our God can speak to us. Our God hears us. Our God helps us. Our God carries us. We don't carry this idol. No, our God is the one that does all these things for us. 
you know, in, in looking at this, uh, my prayer is that we would really have trust in the one true God who is alive. You know, he helps us. I wonder if there's anyone here today who needs help. I wonder if there's anyone here today who needs guidance, who needs to hear the voice of the Lord. I mean, many of you probably have testimonies uh, and it's a beautiful thing to hear you. You can say, yes, the God of the universe has spoken to me. The God of the universe knows exactly what I'm going through. The other day, you know, it's kind of cool. We went to Kerry Chapel Downey. They had this big um, 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 seminar, conference type of thing. And there are just thousands of people there, thousands of people there. And, and as as we get there, my wife and I get there, the, the you know, we get out of the car, we start walking down you know, the, the, the driveway and stuff, and then we're walking towards the sanctuary, and there's the first two people we, we see, the first two people we see come up to us, and they're like, hey, Pastor Manny, Shelly, how you doing? And I'm like, who are you? I, didn't, I, didn't, I did not know who they were, but it just so happens that they're, I've been talking to this guy on the phone because I'm going to go chair at a marriage uh, fellowship coming up this Saturday, and I had never met them in person, and just right off the bat, they just come up, and we start talking, and I meet them right there, and I don't know, you might think, well, that's not really a big deal, it's not a, co- you know, it's just a coincidence, it's really nothing, but I don't know, when you're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you realize that's God. Out of all the thousands of people that I could have run into right there in the get-go, it happens to be them. And it's probably God saying, hey, Manny, I want you to know because I know sometimes you, you, know, you're, you, know, you're, you're, you just look at yourself and you know, things like that are not really encouraging. I want you to know that I'm with you, that I'm with you. See, the, the God of the universe is personal, and we're, we're reading about these idols, and they can't do any of that stuff because they're not alive. But the one true God is alive. He helps us, speaks to us, carries us. He walks with us. He does good for us. Look what it says there in verse 6, where, where Jeremiah said, Lord, there's no one like you, for you are great, and your name is full of power. There it is, power. Who would not fear you, O king of nations? That title belongs to you alone among all the wise people of the earth and in all the kingdoms of the world. There is no one like you. People who worship idols are that word, stupid and foolish. The things they worship are made of wood. And there in verse 6, I don't know, so how many of you guys here, you have the New King James Version? Most of you guys probably do, huh? So the New King James has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the Tetragrammatron. That's the covenant name of God. You can't see that in some of the other translations, unfortunately. But but this is God's covenant name. And so there in verse 6, Lord, that's Yahweh, probably Yahweh. There is no one like you. This is God's covenant name as revealed to us in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus 6, uh, 2 and 3. It says, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. That's the, the, the covenant name. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, Al Shaddai, but my name, Lord, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And so there, Jeremiah says, Yahweh, there's no one like you, you're great, you're powerful, you're to be feared, not these idols, not astrology, not cosmic things. No, God is the one to be feared. And that fear is not just, uh, well, he's going to get me if I mess up, not just that type of fear, although there's an aspect of that. It's more like just reverence and awe. 
You know, and reverence and awe for, for a number of reasons. Reverence and awe for the fact that he created everything by the power of his word, that he maintains the universe, you know, by his own hand, and that he knows me personally. Things like that, you know, just bring us to that place of reverence. Not only is he the God of the nation of Israel, but it says right here he's the, he's the king of, of all nations. Look at verse 7. Who would not fear you, O king of all nations? No, when you look at this, you see God, he's revealing himself to us as the one who is wise. Um, and we see, unfortunately, people today worship everything else but the Lord. You know, I, I remember as a new Christian, my friend would tell me, he would ask me like, hey, Manny, what's your master passion? Like when you get out of bed, let me ask you a question. When you get out of bed, what do you think of? And a lot of times, that's not, it's not always the case, but that is your God. That is your master passion. What keeps you going? What keeps you beating? What, what dominates your, your thoughts? You know, that's your God. And so for us, prayerfully, it is the Lord. You roll out of bed and you worship and you thank him for another day. And then all throughout the day, you know, he's your passion. And all the other things will, will, will find their place when you first seek God. But if you don't seek him first, you're going to find yourself in situations like we're reading of here in which ultimately there's going to be discipline. And if you're not a Christian, there's judgment. And so, you know, you wonder, think about this. And I don't know if any of you guys ever came from that background. Any of you guys, were you ever Catholic? Any, any Catholics here? And you would bow down to a statue, Mary. I remember going to... Man, my, my aunt's house or my friend's mom's house and just the whole house is filled with all these statues. People bowing down and, and worshiping in front of these statues. You know, St. Christopher, supposedly he's the god of trans, uh, transportation. You know, he, he helps you when you're, um, you know, traveling and keeps you safe and things like that. And it's like, wait a minute, time out. How, I wonder if they've ever thought this out. Uh, verse 9, it says right here, that they, they bring beaten sheets of silver from Tarshish, that's probably Spain, and gold from Euphaz, that's considered the best, and they make these materials to skillful, they give these materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols, and then they dress these gods in royal blue and purple robes made by expert tailors. And so think about it, you got a nice looking little god right there, huh? Fancy, pricey, and yet it's lifeless, it's vanity. They're even dressed up as royalty in blue and purple, and yet it's vanity. Verse 10 says the Lord, but the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. Say this to those who worship other gods. Your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. And so, you know, we know this probably. I mean, I'm pretty sure most of you guys have been around to, to know that there is only one God. Amen? Only one God. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. But in those days, this was a radical concept because all the people in all the world thought of the plurality of gods 
polytheism. And so, you know, you had local deities. And so there was the god of Moab, the god of Ammon, the god of Egypt, the gods of Egypt. They had multiple gods. Philistia, you name it. And so now that for Jeremiah's teaching something radical, no, there's only one God for the whole wide world. And this is what Jeremiah is sharing right here. He, he's the only God. He's the living God. He's not just a passing or temporary king. He's the everlasting king and not just a national king, but he's the, the global king. He's the universal king. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And in verse 10, he says that they, they, the nations, they cannot stand up to his wrath. And so earlier we talked about how those gods, they can't harm you. Or, or they can't help you. And so the thing about the Lord is, yeah, he can help you, but you want to know something else? He can also harm you. And this is what breaks our heart because we know that if people reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will perish. And this is why, you know, when I, when I got saved and hopefully when you got saved, you realize, Lord, all I want to do is serve you because I want to, I want to pull people out of the flames. And Lord, don't, don't let me get sidetracked. Don't let me uh, lose this vision, this passion for the calling, whatever the ministry is, whatever your place is in the body of Christ, because people are going to hell. The wrath of God is on its way. Jeremiah is a great book for the United States of America because we're going to see, as Jeremiah is going to pronounce judgment on, on Jerusalem, on the southern kingdom of Judah, you guys, there is no doubt about the fact that America is on its way to judgment, and it can happen any day now. And so for us, as we're reading this right here, it says right here, they, they, can't, they can't stand up to his wrath. The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. It sounds almost like an oxymoron, huh? The, the wrath of the Lamb. But it's true. And when the lamb shows his lion's side, the nations won't be able to stand. You know, we read in Revelation 6, in verse 15 through 17, that this is during the tribulation period. It says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And I don't care how big bad that person is. I don't care how tough they are. Whatever the military might they might have, or how much money, it doesn't matter. When the wrath of the Lamb comes, no one will be able to stand. We see the same thing in Revelation 19.15. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You ever think about what hell is? You ever think about what the lake of fire is? It's not the wrath of man. It's not the wrath of the devil. It is the wrath of God. And people, sometimes they don't like that, but you know they don't realize that you know, you've sinned against God. And so Jeremiah, in talking about these things, he says, you guys got to know who, who God is. And it's not those statues over there. It's not those aisles over there. He's a living God. And, and, and Jeremiah, look what he says in verse 11. Say this to them. You need to say this to them. Your so-called gods, they didn't make the heavens and the earth, and they will vanish from the earth 
and from under the heavens. And so people need to know that. You know, we are monotheists, not polytheists. We don't believe in polytheism, which means many gods. Neither do we believe in pluralism, which teaches many ways to gods. No, we don't believe that, you guys. What do we believe? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so be really careful with stuff like that because we're living in a world right now where as people, you know, they use the word God in a generic way and it kind of unites us all together. And we talk about the word faith and, you know, it kind of puts us all together. But, but you know, we got to identify, you got to almost have to define, Francis Schaeffer said, who, what God are you talking about? And when you're talking about faith, faith in who and, and how does it work? And so for us, we have to, Lord, I'm not going to buy into this. Maybe they were buying into this. Yeah, we will follow the Lord, but we will also follow, you know, Hinduism. That's okay. Come on. They're sincere. They're, sin- they're nice. They're nice Buddhist people. We, yeah, maybe they are nice. They might even be nicer than you, but they're not covered with the blood. And this is why we have to make sure we have this understanding, you know, that it has to be the one Lord, verse 12, that the Lord, but the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. And when he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. I mean, one of the, the ways, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but one of the ways that we see how awesome our God is, uh, besides the redemption and the cross, is the creation. You know, you just go out there and you just, uh, you know, our brother and sister were talking about the Sea of Galilee and just the beautiful, um, you know, sea. And you go out, and one thing about Israel when you go is when you travel and you go on all these different mountains because Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains and all these mountains you go to, you just see these beautiful views and it just can't help but grip you with, wow, what an awesome God we have. The heavens declare the glory of God and and the earth, his handiwork. And so when you start looking at the stars and then the galaxies and then the, the billions of galaxies and you wonder, well, how is it that God made them all? He spoke them into existence. He not only made them, but he maintains them. And he knows every single star by name, and not one of them is missing. What an awesome God we have. And this is what Jeremiah begins to say. Verse 12, the Lord made the earth by his power. He, he preserves it with his wisdom. You know, So he made it, he maintains it, he understands it. I mean, just little things like like the rain, you know, and it's just so beautiful to see the way that God supplies us with water in the winter times. He puts the snow up and he packs up it, packs it up on the mountains, kind of like his little freezer, you know. And then as it gets warmer, then it kind of trickles down, and then we get the water that we need to drink. I mean, just the whole cycle of the winds, everything, the lightning, it's all just uh, reflections of the glory of God. No thunder. Isn't thunder cool, you guys? Don't you think? No? You're afraid of it? I remember when one time we were in Israel, I remember it's uh, two times ago, man, just the thunderstorm. It was just crazy. But it kind of emphasizes his, uh, his power. And, um, and looking at this, it's interesting to see how you know, the Jews and then the Christians, they believe in only one God, 
And when the Christians were, you know, um, their, their, their whole, you know, start was there in the first century. I don't know if you knew this or not, but church history tells us that the Romans actually accused them of being atheists because of the fact that they didn't believe in multiple gods. And so um, verse 14, it says, the whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by the idols they make for their carefully shaped works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or power. Idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. On the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed, but the God of Israel is no idol. He is the creator of everything that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. You know, I was thinking about that whole story in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. And when you guys get a chance, maybe you can check it out. But it, it's something similar in, in one sense. And this time it was the northern kingdom and their hearts were divided. And, you know, Elijah, um, he declared war on the, the northern kingdom because he wanted them to come back to the Lord. You know, they had drifted away. They had begun to worship Baal. And if you read James chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years. Think about that. Then he prayed again, and the heavens were opened. And so, you know, it, that's really a convicting verse, just in case your prayer life, you know, is not where it should be. Elijah was just like us, though, and he just prayed, God, I love my nation. I love the lost. I love them. And so he started praying, God, what am I going to do about this? Lord, show me what to do. And so as he's praying, praying and praying, God says, okay, you know what? We talked about this in the Old Testament and the covenant with Israel. I told them that if they wander away, I'm going to shut the heavens and they're not going to have rain. So that's where we're going to work this whole war thing out. So you go in front of the king, First Kings chapter 17, Elijah just bursts onto the, king, onto the scene. He goes right in front of the king and he says, Thus says the Lord, it ain't going to rain until I say so. And then he split. And then it, it didn't rain. And so it's just so cool. You know, what ended up happening eventually when you first Kings chapter 18, Elijah comes back on the scene and he, you know, he's bringing the people there and they're watching. You've got the prophets of Baal and you've got the king, Elijah, and some of the people. And this is what he says in first Kings 18, 21. Elijah came to all the people and said, how long, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. And it kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. Listen, I'd rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, what? I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know better. You know better. How long will you falter between two opinions? I mean, the Lord is, is God, amen? Then shouldn't we be following him with a passion? Shouldn't we be following him with a reckless abandon? You know, why are we having to even deal with this whole thing? The interesting thing about Jeremiah chapter 10 is it's a continuance of Jeremiah chapter 7. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 7, it was Jeremiah talking to the people as they were entering into the temple. They're entering into the temple and he has to tell them this. Yeah, I know you guys are here at the temple, but when you go home, you got your little idols. And God is saying, it doesn't make any sense. You have to get rid of those idols. And so, you know, unfortunately, the people did not listen to the word of Jeremiah, the word of God. 
And so we read in verse 17, Jeremiah says, okay, pack your bags, get ready. Prepare to leave. The siege is about to begin. For this is what the Lord says. Suddenly I will fling out all you who live in this land. I will pour great trouble upon you. And at last you will feel my anger. And it didn't have to be that way, you guys. It didn't have to be that way. I look at our nation and, uh, oh, man. I mean, I don't know. You probably can't. It, it takes a lot of imagination and creativity to think how in the world can the United States of America be judged? How can we be judged? Because we're such a strong nation and, and we're awesome, you know. And you look at our, our and there's no way we're Mexico, Canada. I mean, how is it going to happen? I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. I know it is. Because we have turned our backs on God. I mean, I was reading an article today about a teacher, believe it or not, getting fired because she won't lie to the parents of the children because these children want to have a sex change. And all the teacher wants to do is let the parents know about it because the, the kids, they're just teenagers. And so she loses her job. It's on Fox News. That, and, you, and you guys know there's a a lot of other things that are going on in this, at one time, Judeo-Christian nation. We are accountable. We know better. And so I know for a fact, unless there's some revival, maybe the movie will be a, a spark plug. I don't know. But uh, unless there's a radical transformation, like you know, in, in Nineveh under the preaching of Jonah or something, you guys got to know this, man. Somehow, some way, America will be judged. He says right here, you guys are going to be judged. You have to pack your bags because you're going to be headed to Babylon and they would be there for 70 years. When that happens, what will the people say? Well, we read in verse 19, they're, they're going to say, my wound is severe, my grief is great, my sickness is incurable, but I must bear it. My home is gone and no one is left to help me rebuild it. My children, my children, my children have been taken away. And I will never see them again. You know, and you talk to any parent, any person who has kids, that last line hurts the most. And this is why I really encourage you. And I've been saying it for like the last, you know, two, three uh, f months since we've been going through the book of Jeremiah. Serve the Lord, especially if you have children. Because what will happen to your children this is what will happen to them. You know, this is why we have to be in right relationship with God. You know, a large part of the problem there in Jerusalem was that the leaders did not lead. Look at verse 21. It says, The shepherds of my people have lost their senses. They no longer seek wisdom from the Lord. Therefore, they fail completely and their flocks are scattered. In the New King James, it says the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. And, and when you look at this, um, most commentators believe it's in reference to the king and his cabinet, you know, political leaders. But it's also in reference to the spiritual leaders. And, and what we find right here is that it says right here, they've lost their senses, they've become dull-hearted, um, they're no longer seeking the, the wisdom from the Lord. 
And, and what I believe, you know, we have to understand this. When God puts leaders in positions of authority or responsibility, he does that so that they would listen. They would hear God's voice. How can you possibly aspire to lead if you're not listening, if you're not praying, if you're not desiring to follow God? Because God is the one that put you there. And those people, they're not your people. They're God's people. How can you take care of God's people if you're not listening to God? But that happens a lot of times. You know, it can happen to a person who's a pastor. It can happen to, to anybody in that position. You know, for many reasons, maybe they think, well, I'm, you know, I've done this for a long time. And you begin going through the motions. Next thing you know, it becomes a religion and not a relationship. But yet, you know, for us, we have to know that I've always told you guys, you know, what makes a good leader is a good follower of Jesus Christ. And we have a personal relationship with him. We can't be dull hearted, but it's not just for leaders. It's for everyone. Because in one sense, you're all leading someone. There's someone who is you're influencing. There's someone who in one sense, they're following you. Where are you leading them? See, we have that responsibility as leaders. You know, to lose that sense, to lose that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, it means that we can't hear his voice. We can't feel the conviction. We don't have, like when Solomon first started off, he started off really good and he asked God for a hearing heart. Literally in the Hebrew, wisdom was a hearing heart. And that's what we need, nothing less. See, leaders are there by God's appointment He's given them, us, the responsibility to lead. And right here he says, verse 21, that's part of the problem. If you're a leader here today, my encouragement to you is to, to rise up and to lead um, by following God. I, I think of the book of Judges, chapter 4, when the people were in bondage to the Canaanites. I mean, just think about people, we'll just say today, in bondage to sin. They cannot free themselves. They can't free themselves. And so that's where the, the nation was. And in Judges chapter 4, um, there was a, a gal by the name of Deborah who was judging because none of the guys were really willing to rise up. And so eventually Deborah recruited a, a guy named Barak and then with uh, another gal named Jael, they were able to then have victory over the Canaanites. You guys remember the whole story with Jael? You guys remember what she did? How she got that guy and she, she, she drove a tent peg through his temple? You guys remember that? It's a beautiful story there in <laughs> Judges chapter 4. I just think of what she did. I'm like, wow, it's so cool how they, they defeated the Canaanites and my, I've, I tend to be an optimistic person. You know, even though... And you may, you may think, well, Manny, you're not because you just said America is going to be judged. Well, that's because of the sin. But still, I'm like, okay, Lord, here we are. Maybe our church will catch fire. Maybe you will. Maybe we will. Maybe, guys, I, I can sense it. I can see it. I'm hoping it. Something is going to be happening. And then what we find right here is that as a result of that, people get set free. And then when you read in Judges chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, when leaders lead in Israel... When the people willingly offer themselves, 
Bless the Lord. Judges 5 verse 9. My heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. Praise the Lord. You know, one thing that's a bomber, a bomber is you're trying to get people to serve and you're like, oh, please, and you're begging them and you're asking for help. Wouldn't it be cool if some people just volunteered? Hey, you need help? I'm here. Let's do this. That's what he's saying right there. That's what we're reading there in Judges 5. When they willingly give themselves. And that's what happened. You know, because what ended up happening there in Jerusalem is the, the leaders didn't. You know, maybe they were busy doing their own thing and enjoying the good life. They forgot that they had a flock to tend to. Look at verse 22. He says, listen, hear the terrifying roar of great armies as they roll down from the north. The towns of Judah will be destroyed and become a haunt or a den for jackals. And so what will happen? The Babylonians would come in and they would um, just ravish the land. And so Jeremiah prays in verse 23. I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. So correct me, Lord, but please be gentle. Do not correct me in anger, for I would die. Pour out your wrath on the nations that refuse to acknowledge you, on the peoples that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured your people, Israel. They have devoured and consumed them, making the land a desolate wilderness. Can I ask you a question? Do you know what Jeremiah knows? What he says right there? I know, I know that our lives are not our own. Do you know that? Do you know that you've been bought with a price? And so what that means basically is, I belong to Jesus Christ. He bought me with his blood shed on Calvary when he died for my sins. And so, you know, I can't just do what I want to do. I can't do, oh, I feel like doing this. No, I got to, I got to follow him. I got to pray. And so as, as we look at our life, and, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing when you combine it with human responsibility and divine sovereignty. And just like I trip out on my life. I remember one time I was doing an interview and someone was, was asking me about the ministry and about my life. And I, all I could tell them really was, you know what? All I can say is God you know, I've done this or that, but it's primarily been the sovereignty of God over my life. Right here, he says the same thing. We are not able to plan our own course. It's not like we can work all these things out. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so God is working. God is working, right? We are trying our best to follow him, but we can't plan our own course. And basically, he says, in that, Lord, I know there's going to be many times there will be, and there has to be, and it's okay that there will be times where God chastens us. Praise God for that. Sometimes it's a verbal rebuke. Sometimes it's a circumstantial rebuke. Sometimes it's a physical rebuke. Sometimes it's beyond that, but it doesn't matter. Jeremiah says, I know, Lord, that you're going to have to deal with me. You're going to have to deal with us. But all that Jeremiah says, but, but Lord, please be merciful to me. Be gentle. Don't kill me. Even though I deserve it. You deserve it. Amen? We deserve it. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah at the end right there, he says, and Lord, 
as a matter of fact, you know, the nations that are judging Israel, because you're going to use them to chasten us, which, by the way, God healed Israel of their idolatry. They never went back to the idols. Praise God for that. It took a lot, but it, it took it away from them. And then he just says, and so you're going to use Babylon to judge us, but Lord, could you judge Babylon? Can you take care of them? And that was what God did. You read Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51. Sure enough, you know, the Persians would come in and conquer Babylon. And what we end up, we're going to find in the end is that God is, uh, God is the king. Not Nebuchadnezzar. God is powerful. God is on the throne. And for us, it's just so cool to know this. You know, he's the one um, that is doing this work. And so let's follow him. Let's, um, you know, like I, I, I mentioned in the beginning, Hudson Taylor, and this is so beautiful to have a living God, you know, to, a God who speaks and we listen, a God who, who walks and we follow him, a God who would even be willing to walk with us. But we don't have to carry him. You know what he does? He carries us. See, I, I pray, God, I beg a view that is not a religion, but it is really truly a personal relationship you have with God, and that our hearts are just sensitive to Him. And so.